Hello, welcome to Breathe Upon Waking. My name is Jimmy Thor, and I am happy to be here today with Paul Hogan. Paul, thanks for being here. It's very nice to be here with you, Jimmy. So I was an OU, it was James, but yes. So this is an interesting story, actually, because, and I was talking to some people yesterday about what do you want to be called? Jim, Jimmy, James, and uh, an interesting story, because you're part of it, is that I was pretty much known as Jimmy or Jim all the way through high school. When I got here to NHTI and you coached me in basketball, um, you started introducing me as James, and that's, you know, that's what I put on paper usually and things like that. So you would introduce me, and I would just kind of, I never said anything, and, and nobody really asked me here. So basically from college on, everyone knows me as James. And it has a little more like prestigious feel, so I kind of rolled with it for a while. <laughs> And then moving into um, creating my own website and things like that, jimmythorpe.com is what was available. So I took that, <laughs> and I'm kind of going with that. So people say, what do you prefer? And whatever you want to call me. <laughs> well, that's cute. That's cute. I remember the day that uh, you and I met outside of my office in the hallway, and you were trying to find yourself as a college student. And uh, I had come here newly arrived and trying to put together a basketball program, and I had heard that you were a basketball player because mm -hmm. your uncle was a teacher here, Tom Laurie. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, so uh, he, he, I remember him referring to you as James. So that's what I went with. Yeah, yeah. And so the story moved on from there. <laughs> that's great. And so it, we were just talking about some players that you have now and uh, and helping these guys out. And you know, I was certainly one of those guys that you that you helped um, uh, on a journey here. Um, and you're coming off a, a season with the uh, basketball team recently. Can you talk about that? Well, we had a great season. Uh, we were 27-6 and six overall. We were conference regular season champions, conference tournament champions. And then we lost a heartbreaker at the Nationals, literally at the buzzer, uh, by two points to the team who eventually won it. So that, that has happened to us a couple times now. Uh, but it was a great season, good group of guys. We typically have about 40% of our, our players come back year after year. We always have some players move on to another level, like the Division three level, another college. That's part of our mission. We have some players who decide um, that who graduate, so they move on. Some players who decide they're going to move in a different direction. Um, and uh, so you know, from the coaching standpoint, it's always a challenge because each year you have a, a brand new group of players to kind of figure out what you're going to do with them, get to know them, help them get to know you, what you want to do, what's going to work for them, and so forth. Now, we've won the conference championship uh, more than any other school in the YSCC, and we won the regular season the last three years. We won the, regular, uh, the tournament championship the last two years. So we've had a great deal of success here over the years with our players and we've had a lot of success over 70 players including yourself who went on to play at another school afterwards whether they graduated or or just moved on after a year or two uh, to another another college so we're really proud of those those facts as well that um, this can be a wonderful place for a player to uh, get a lot of games a lot of experience uh, college experience learn how to travel learn how to study learn how to uh, practice every single day, 
fit into a different team scheme because many of our players come in and they might be the best player at the school they're at. Or in the case of Antoine Harris, who came from Compton, California, he was really about the fifth best player on his team. And he came oh, yeah. here and he became an All-American, uh, a player that everybody wanted to, to have, uh, an incredible athlete. And when I would tell people, yeah, he was the fifth best player on his high school team, people just shake their head. Like, yeah, how, yeah. how can that be? Right. How can that be? Yeah, what a skilled guy. So yeah, you mentioned you know, NHTI, and I, I wanted to touch on that in general. What does the school do um, that's different than going to the university, perhaps, that's really uh, lending itself to helping kids in this community and, and as a segue to either a job or further college? Well, there's a lot of things, I think, that happen here at NHTI that are really great. Number one, kids have to, have to stand on their own two feet. They, and working with me, certainly in some cases, some of the players have some, uh, some parent support, whether it be financial or whether it be with helping them with paperwork. But many of the kids have to do a lot of it themselves. So they work closely with the NHTI staff, the financial aid office, the bursar's office, the learning center, uh, all the things that are, are available to them. And we have great resources here at NHTI. Sometimes it, the biggest thing is getting players to um, to step out of their own shadow, to try, and, and in some cases fail, in some cases be successful, but to learn about these different areas. Because if they can, then they move on to the next step, and it's easy. Mm-hmm. And they'll find. And I always tell the players too. I said, you know, on the basketball side, if you can survive here with the crazy game schedules that we have, where you're playing three and four. And even in your day, we played sometimes five games in a week, mm-hmm. and then turn around and play a, a Division three schedule, a Division two schedule. We play two games in a week: a Wednesday and a Saturday, or a Tuesday and a Saturday. I mean, it's a cupcake in comparison. Yeah. Uh, you know, with respect, with preparation, with time, you know, practice time, and all that sort of thing. We also play a lot of games. So from that standpoint, we we played as many as thirty nine games uh, five years in a row. Uh, this year, we played. 33 games. Uh, oh wow! So, you know, it, that's that's more than a Division three. If you go Division three, you're going to play you're going to play your 24 plus your your uh, extra game for 25. And if you have a great season, you might get up to 26, 27, maybe 28 games. But in our case, uh, a good high school player coming here is going to get experience because they're going to be competing against other freshmen, sophomores for playing time, find their role, and when they go on to the next place, uh, I, I feel confident if they've learned the lessons that they're going to contribute. And many of our players, including yourself, have been able to go and do that exact thing. There's captains at the next school. Joe Simpson started at, at Plymouth State all the games this year after two wonderful years here. And he had to find himself here academically, socially, oh, nice. and everything else. And he's doing quite well at Plymouth. Dante Ramos was a thousand point scorer at Humane Machias. He played here for two years. Davon Russell uh, just finished his college career at Dean College, and he was our starting point guard. And uh, he was only here for a year, but uh, he ended up having three year, three nice years at Dean College, and that en- ends up being a, a really wonderful uh, experience and an opportunity that he took advantage of. Yeah, I guess it really helped me uh, create some routines and some responsibilities, you know, and I really needed to kind of get my butt into gear. Um, and also it saved me a lot of money. That might be self-explanatory, but can you 
talk a little bit about you know the cost of college now and what NHTI can do. Well, NHTI uh, is the lowest cost uh, opportunity here in the state of New Hampshire, and if someone is living at home, which I went to Plymouth State as a you know. A, for four years and I lived at home I literally walked oh, okay. across the street oh, wow. so my college bill was was minuscule compared to nice. any of my friends <laughs> and and so I, I walked out of college with zero debt and as a teacher uh, that really benefited me greatly uh, so I, I was very appreciative of that and at the time I may, may not have seen that but in in the case here you know I, I you know with our amount per credit that kids are paying mm -hmm. And uh, to you know the fees and so forth, they're really small. So a local person, let's just say in the who lives at home in the 35 mile radius of NHTI, uh, which you know, the majority of our students come from, mm -hmm. the uh, you know you can go about three thousand dollars a semester. Wow. Yeah. And now that obviously doesn't include gas and all that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. but three thousand dollars for your cost of your education, that's pretty darn good. Yep. So six seven thousand for the year. Uh, opportunity to be involved with clubs and organizations um, like the ASB club that just came back from Louisiana, New Orleans, where they were doing some hurricane relief work. They were in Houston the year before that. They were in Phoenix the year before. These are life-changing opportunities oh, wow. for, for kids. And, and there's always two or three athletes that are on it. There were two um, uh, players on the women's basketball team oh, yeah. who went and just had an incredible experience. Incredible experience, plus the, tra the travel piece. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, from the from the economical standpoint and the transferability standpoint, right. I encourage a lot of our students to to come here and, and take ninety credits and then go to Southern New Hampshire. Yeah, it just makes sense. And in in some cases, you can do the same thing with Plymouth State. Those two schools have really reached out to us uh, for a number of their academic programs to be able to um, take advantage of that. So really, you're paying for one at full cost. Right. Yeah. And uh, in some cases, and uh, if the, if the student you know, lines it up right. Some cases, uh, uh, you know, some kids have gra graduated with multiple degrees, uh, general studies, a sports management, a business management, because they overlap with some of the courses. So mm -hmm. you go an extra year and you end up with an extra degree or two degrees. Nice. So a really nice opportunity too. And then uh, obviously on the athletic side of things, uh, the opportunity to play games and then move on to the next school and be game ready to be able to play, to step in and earn playing time uh, and a role on that team is, is crucial and uh, very, very um, important because yeah. coaches at the next level don't want to babysit their, their juniors and seniors right, that are coming right. in. You know, you expect to do some of that with a freshman who's green, who doesn't know where he's going, what he's doing, uh, the college routine. All of a sudden you have some free time if you're living in a res hall. You know, do you spend all night playing playing video games, or do you spend some time, you know, reading books and doing your class preparation and all those types of things? So, you know, most of our students they've been successful here, so they go on to the next place, and academically they're ready to step in, and that's less of a worry. Yeah, it makes a nice. Transition. And we're a community college, which is much different than some of our cohorts here, even within the community college system, because uh, although some people still refer to us as the tech. We're really a community college. We're, you know, we have so many diverse programs. We don't uh, hear uh, the co the computer programs are outstanding. Kids are graduating and making really good money. The nursing, the dental, 
um, programs, the radiology programs. They're hard to get into. The uh, architecture and the engineering programs, the transferability to UMass Lowell or UNH or other schools, it, it, it's a fabulous deal. And you're in a, if you're in one of those programs, you're sitting in a classroom with you know, six, maybe seven kids. Yeah. Wow, the individual attention, that's right. going to be a heck of a lot different than going to a, a big school like a UNH where you're going to be in with 25, 30 students. Uh, you, you better be game ready there at UNH. If, if, if you're not game ready or you want to you deal better with a smaller class size, this is a great place for that. Yeah, yeah. it seems very diversified and so many options. And, uh, and, and the saving money piece, just if you live, if you live around here, it's, it's really the way to go. Uh, so you mentioned starting off at Plymouth, you went to school at Plymouth State. Um, can you kind of take us back to your, a little bit before that, I want to hear about your childhood a little bit and uh, growing up in Plymouth. Well, I'm one of nine kids, so I'm the fifth uh, of nine. There were five, uh, I have five sisters and three brothers. So my father was a college professor, a history professor at Plymouth State, and he um, died in 1986. He taught there for close to 30 years. He um, really was well known for taking the, the model UN to the national level and making it one of the, the, the largest and best well-known programs in the country. Um, and I actually had a chance, as some of my siblings did too, as a high school student to go and participate in that. And oh, that nice. was three days of, of really d debating and preparation for I represented Egypt at the time, and you know the, you're assigned a country, and mm -hmm. you have to learn about the country and and the politics, and then you know you do some problem solving in a group dynamic situation. And I ended up having to give a, a, a major speech at the end of at the end of the conference. It was very cool, and it was a student run event. But my dad, that was one of the things he was known for: East African or an African history and Russian history and Middle East history. So. We grew up with a map in our dining room, and we played a lot of map games to know oh, really? the world and so forth. Uh, uh, my, my parents, my mother was a teacher too. She taught English and history, but raising nine kids, her time of her time was limited, you know, in comparison with my father as far as the actual time uh, in uh, in the classroom. Mm -hmm. But uh, we were very fortunate to have two educators. We lived right in town. The, literally, the college was right across the street. Uh, where I grew up now is a college uh, resident hall. Just okay. uh, about uh, two years ago, they they tore the, the old house down and <laughs> built a college resident hall there. It's a cafeteria as well, I believe. Uh, but we had a great experience. And our, uh, you know, people ask me all the time about what I do, and I I've, I've been doing sports and kids all my life. Because I was kind of the recreational director for our neighborhood. Our neighborhood, with a lot of big families, would every night there were, you know, during the spring, summer, and fall, there were bikes out in front, 40, 50 bikes, and we'd be playing scram and capture the flag and everything in the woods behind the house. Or, you know, I organized the wiffle ball games and the touch football games and all the other things. And we developed a little series between the north side of town and the south side of town you know, competition that, you know, goes on in a lot of communities, and I was kind of the ringleader of that. We kept statistics and one-loss records and, wow. you know, problem-solved, you know, with the rock, paper, scissors, or odds yep. and evens, as I tell <laughs> our students now, uh, you know, the, the, the arguments that would go on, and uh, uh, it was just great. I played three sports in high school. I'm from an athletic family. Uh, 
I played quarterback in, in football. I played uh, captain of the basketball team for two years. And uh, I played baseball, played multiple positions in baseball, mostly shortstop and, and pitcher. Uh, uh, had a wonderful high school experience uh, as vice president of my class. Um, and then decided to go to Plymouth State to be yeah. a physical education teacher. And so I started my next journey there and, and uh, continued the sports and kids theme for the next four years as recreation director in the summer, uh, dabbled with some other things like carpentry and things like that and realized that I really wasn't very good at those things. So why not be <laughs> good at the things that I, I like to do? And then I started my teaching career after graduation. Um, I went to Woodsville uh, for two years. I was under two wonderful, a number of great people up there, but highly influenced by John Boganzi, the legendary uh, late John Boganzi, who coached basketball and baseball, mm -hmm. uh, won a <laughs> numerous state championships, an incredible coach and teacher, and Mike Ackerman, who um, was the athletic director there and coached soccer and a, a good friend and colleague and so forth. Uh, and then I went to Litchfield and was in Litchfield for four years. And I, that's when I started getting into uh, college coaching and I helped start the St. Anselm's College Women's Soccer Program oh. in the, uh, I guess it would be the fall of 1984, I guess, at this point. Uh -huh. and, and, uh, and then transferred and went up to uh, move my career back up to Plymouth area. I taught in Laconia for 13 years, and I was assistant coach for women's soccer, and assistant coach for men's basketball at Plymouth State for five years. And then when when Phil Rowe left in 1990 to go to Boston University, mm -hmm. they named me the head coach. He was full time. I remained part time teaching in Laconia. So. Uh, Great conference, Little East, a lot of fun. Had a wonderful eight-year experience. We won a lot of games. We were very, very competitive. Uh, coached the, the first NCAA team ever in the history of the school. Uh, had a great winning percentage, but uh, everybody graduated except for one kid in, in eight years, so I was oh, really nice. tickled pink about that. Yeah. And I still remain in good contact with a lot of those players. Really? Um, oh, to this day, we get together and have you know, a sandwich in the summer every couple of years, or yeah. play golf, and and some of them are some of my best friends. So oh, it's really it's really, really cool. And I went from there to uh, my teaching job kept me uh, was cut three times. Uh, I was a phys ed teacher at an elementary school, so it was cut three times in my eight years, and I had to make a decision. I felt so I, I had earned my master's degree from Plymouth State, and I mm -hmm. I moved on to Spalding High School as the AD. So I replaced the legendary Hugo Bolin, uh, who had been there 40-plus years as the football coach and AD and baseball coach. So I, I did that for a year and a half, and I was running basketball camps. I had gotten into the, the camp scene uh, a number of years prior to that, and I was running camps here at NHTI, and Bill Simonton, who was the president, came and uh, encouraged me to take the job. So wow. that's how I ended up here on September 7th, 1999. So okay. uh, it's uh, it's been a blur, and I've been here ever since. Yeah, what a great journey. It's been a great journey. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, working with these kids, and you were happy that, you know, most of them graduated. And, and uh, so it makes me kind of wonder, what is the other piece of coaching that's not just, uh, you know, success in sports? You know, you're really trying to shape these 
people into better characters, better human beings. What's that been like? It's it's very uh, exciting. It's you know you don't always get the it doesn't always happen at the same time either mm-hmm. uh, because you can't you know relationships is something you have to work at all the time. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is, and sometimes relationships go full circle, and sometimes they come around later on because the light goes on maybe for the for the student athlete and you know maybe the it's like a parent you know maybe the, the the coach has a message here that you finally hear right and uh every once in a while as and i hear this from coaching friends from teacher friends is that you know the light goes on and that connection gets made or remade and and so forth um, and you see a, a student a student athlete blossom in their own professional career and mm-hmm. I take uh, Chris Speedy Laws who you was a teammate of yours at least for yeah. one year I think yeah. and certainly one of the finest basketball players who ever played here um, mm-hmm. and play, stayed here for four years graduated with multiple degrees like we talked about went to Keene State afterwards then went to um, SNU and graduated with an advanced degree from SNU and now manages okay. a restaurant and just became a dad That's so great. I to me, it's, he's an incredible story because I didn't know if he was going to make it through the first semester <laughs> between some, let's just say, and we've talked about this, so this is not something brand new, but mm-hmm. between attitude issues with how he handled being coached at practice right. uh, to how he handled his classroom work. And uh, he went from not being a great student to being a fabulous student. Oh, fabulous student by the time he finished NHTI and then went, obviously went on to Keene and, and finished... Uh, you know, transferred in there and finished a, a, a degree there, a bachelor's degree, and then went to SNU and, and finished with a master's degree. So, wow! I yeah, just good. like I—I I mean, that's that's a heart rub right there. Yeah. That's that's a feel-good story because uh, I can go back to that practice when he's looking at me and didn't didn't want to be coached. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to do is to try and get you to do certain things on the floor. And part of it is the attitude, is those adult things that you want players to do, is look you in the eye, smile, acknowledge, mm-hmm. communicate, which is a big piece with what we're trying to do with our current students. It's different than it was 25 years ago because of social media, because of, so, because of cell phones, because of yeah. all the different... Uh, connected pieces that uh, the internet and so forth have for us so well I remember even back when I was playing you know there was a lot of that stuff and I appreciate that now um, and, and it was simple stuff but it could be you know no jewelry and gum at practice like we talked about looking people in the eye when you speak to them and shaking their hand and that stuff at that young age can really help and maybe we're not getting that from other places in our lives to to help encourage us that's a great point, and the, the shaking hands piece and the introduction yeah. is something whenever I have one of the players, if I bump into somebody in the lobby and I have one of the players or, or a student here, I'm having them introduce themselves to the guest or the person that I might be having a conversation mm-hmm. with. Uh, and it's just good practice. It's yeah. good business practice. It's good adult practice. We shake hands. We acknowledge each other all the time, and, and it's so important. Those... You know, I teach sports marketing. I always talk about the seven seconds. Your first seven seconds, you you create an impression. What kind of yeah. impression are you going to create? Mm-hmm. And what kind of a handshake are you going to give? Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and those things are really important. Yeah. And again, students 
and student athletes need to learn those things and that's part of the college experience mm -hmm. it's not all measured in a test that you might have in certain classes that you might take it might be measured in other areas of how you handle how prompt you are how, how pr your preparation and when I teach a little bit later on today uh, you know I arrive a few minutes early and I want the students to arrive a few minutes early so that they have their their homework out or whatever we might be working on so they are ready to go mm -hmm. you know for the entire time that that we're in the classroom yeah there was a word I remember when I came here that uh, kind of you in introduced me to the word networking and I was I was like you know what's that and uh, but over the years that of course has been crucial and uh, so what can you say about kind of establishing relationships between people and communicating and kind of um, encouraging kids to focus on that? Well, it's depending upon exactly what you do uh, in your in your life. Um, networking is is very important. You know, you're going to have friends, you're going to have close friends, you're going to have professional colleagues. One of the advantages with going to a school like NHTI, or I also teach for Plymouth State in the graduate program, uh, and uh, I always tell the, the students in that class, I said, the people who are sitting around the table right now are the people that are going to be the ADs here in New Hampshire. You're going to be working with each other for the next 20 years, 25 years. Yeah. So why not build a relationship there? Yeah. And so how do you communicate? And you're going to have different relationships with different people, but there, there needs to be a certain respect for what the other person does and, and how do you con connect and keep connecting with them. Mm -hmm. So it can be as simple as dropping an email like I grad, uh, Jamie Hayes, one who coaches Newmarket Boys Basketball, I, I sent him a, a, an email yesterday congratulating him on his 300th coach, coaching win. Oh really? And Jamie had played for me at Plymouth State. We get together once in a while for various things like I was talking about with the lunch or play golf or do something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, but uh, anyway, he played one year. He was manager for several years, and and he's been a successful high school coach. And that little networking piece, that little acknowledgement, mm -hmm. and you know, it's it's the fraternity that we live in, and it that's the educational fraternity. But it's beyond that. It's the scope of business. Okay, uh, you know, I've hired you as to take care of my lawn at my house in Bow, mm -hmm. and uh, I trust that you're going to come and you're going to do a good job and you're reliable and you're consistent and you work with me and you make recommendations and I trust that and that's mm -hmm. that factor that goes into it and would I have hired you otherwise if I didn't know you I would have had to build that whole relationship right. yeah. so that's been very crucial and positive on my end and so business to business you know we're all in this we're all in this world together we have to be able to connect and sometimes in, in my field, in what I do, with I teach sports management here, I'm co-department chair, and we have a very large group of, of students in the program, 40 plus, and we're gonna have our largest graduating class this year uh, that we've ever had, which I'm very oh, nice. excited about. Yeah. It's, it's double the normal size, so wow. that's a big plus for us. But going, going beyond that, when, when, I, when we have a guest speaker in, Guest speakers are always talking about networking. They're oh, always yeah. talking about exchanging business cards and following up with an email afterwards or a phone call and thanking the person and mm -hmm. um, getting you know building a relationship because you have to build and work at relationships. They yeah. don't just happen. It's almost a little bit like karma too because you you don't necessarily know when you might need this person or when you might have to call them, 
but five, ten years down the road, you've established that connection, and now you can reach out, you know, with well, some trust. Well, exactly. And, you know, people ask me all the time uh, about NHTI. Well, you know, when you were a student here, NHTI has evolved a lot since that time. And when I came here from Spalding, a lot of people questioned, why are you going to the tech? And uh, I rolled the dice, and when I came here, I, I, I spent an awful lot of time networking and getting around, speaking to groups all over the state, uh, high school groups, uh, career days, you name it, uh, guest speaker at a lot of different events, um, going to conferences where the athletic directors, the coaches were, to network, to spread the word, hey look, there's some, some things happening here. We're gonna build an athletic program. We're not gonna be at the club level in all of our sports. Yeah. We're gonna change what men's basketball and women's basketball, we didn't have a women's basketball program when I came here. Mm -hmm. We're gonna change these things. Sports management had six students in the program. Like I said, we have over 40 now. Wow. <laughs> so, big, big change. Yeah. And. But it takes work, and then networking, and the fact that I had relationships as a high school AD, as a well-known college basketball coach at Plymouth State, as a former baseball coach at Laconia High School, and various other things that I do, boards I've served on with phys ed and and, and other uh, other programs. Those networking pieces all, I think, helped, you know, with what we've done here with NHTI yeah. and. You know, now we have a lot of groups that come in here, the officials groups for basketball and soccer and volleyball and coaches groups that come in here and have meetings. And I'm here at those meetings. I'm here present. I'm shaking hands. I'm saying hello. Yeah. And it's not uncommon. Our officials have been some of our best people to say, have you talked to this kid <laughs> uh, for soccer, for uh, basketball, whatever it might be. Yeah. It, it could be for the sport that I coach, men's basketball, or it could be one of our other sports. And yeah. I can't tell you how many referrals we've gotten from those relationships oh, wow. and and letting people see what we have here at NHTI. Yeah. Well, that's important. Yeah, make those positive connections. Well, you mentioned all these things that you're doing, and you've, you know, you're doing a lot, and you've done a lot. You know, uh, department chairs and different boards and athletic director and coach and and I remember when I was here, constantly, you were always here. <laughs> you were always here before us and after us. Um, is that go-go mentality part of your personality? Is it a work ethic that your parents taught you? You know, what's that about? That's a great question. Uh, I think, number one, my, you know, I always heard from my father that if you like what you do, then spend the time doing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, my father, he as a history teacher was constantly reading books, mm -hmm. constantly practicing his lectures, his notes, reviewing, my mother was retyping them. We grew up with that, with seeing that. Mm -hmm. I always had a good work ethic and I think that was instilled from our parents, uh, you know, in the summertime is like, you need to make your own money. So mow lawns, shovel snow in the winter time, rake leaves, whatever it was. So I had a million jobs around town. We had a paper route. I was delivering papers in second grade and it went through the entire family, and all of us contributed for 14 and a half years. Wow. It was the union leader. So, uh, you know, that getting up at six in the morning on those cold days and walking the, you know, one and a half mile, two mile route around Plymouth 
or in the summertime riding the bike. I mean, yeah. you just did those things, and it, there were no days off because mm-hmm. you had it was seven days a week, and it was and if you didn't collect the money on Saturday, you couldn't pay the bill on on Monday when you met with a <laughs> union leader person. So, all of those things um, were you know instilled in us, and uh, but it, with me, I like what I do. Yeah, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy the people. I enjoy the people here at NHTI. I enjoy connecting with alumni with mm-hmm. people who are doing great things like yourself and uh, it's not uncommon to go someplace and bump into people and that is a constant reminder of why I'm in this and yeah. and for me like I said my theme going all the way back to when I was you know probably fifth grade when I was sort of the local organizer of sports is sports and kids and that what, what am I doing today yeah I teach sports management I teach sports business I coach a, a men's basketball team, so I have good players to coach that are, you know, good good people as well. I run basketball camps in the summertime with a different group of people. It's a change of pace. Um, athletic director, so I'm watching our softball team and baseball team play games and soccer. I mean, this is fun stuff. Yeah, fun stuff. It's for a good me. balance. It is. It is good. It is good. What about when you're not? What about when you're feeling down? I mean, you, that, it's a lot of pressure to be kind of in an influential position and even just simply as coaching, you know. How do you approach a practice day if you're maybe sick or not feeling good or, geez, you're burnt out from a lot of things you've done this past week? Well, you certainly, over over the years, you've learned how to manage your time. And I always tell the students in, my, in the classes that I teach, but also the teams, at some point in time I say, can you tell when I'm having a bad day? And most of them will say no. And yeah. I want them to feel that same way because I'm going to try and approach it. Now, I may change my energy. And if I, my throat is tired from talking too much or a long night, because mm-hmm. when you're coaching here, you might get home at 1 in the morning. You're back in the office at 7. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. And, and that's, that's the, the life I've chosen mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. But, you know, I may change and adapt what I do, but uh, the reality is that uh, I'm, I'm going to always come in with a plan. And uh, fortunately for me, I've got a lot of years of experience. And sometimes I just have to make sure that I uh, take my own pulse and say, how am I feeling today? Yeah. You know, and if, I'm, if, if I don't quite have this, the same, uh, if I don't quite feel great, and mm-hmm. there's usually a, a point during a basketball season where I might get a little run down, then I may have to shorten the practice a little bit or adapt the practice differently. But I do that with the players too. If they've had a long night and or maybe we're just a little banged up because we had uh, back-to-backs and they're a little bit physically beat, and so I may change the practice tempo too. Yeah. And that, to me, that's the, the good coaching and that's the challenge for me as a coach to make sure that I'm doing the right thing with the players with the, because I'm, I'm hard on myself as far as if I don't coach a game the way I, you know, I'm going to beat myself up. Mm-hmm. And I'll beat myself up even more for a practice like, wow, I didn't do as good a job right. with what I should have done there. Uh, I should have done some things differently. I could have used my assistants differently and mm-hmm. all those types of things. So it, it, it's, it's a constant evaluation, reevaluation. But I, I really enjoy the classroom. I always tell, I, you know, coaching is the same thing. You're an entertainer. Yeah. Uh, there's part of the job is entertaining when you be funny when you be happy when do you be silly when you pat people on the back 
you know, all those types of things that you yeah. you need to do during you that certainly time. have to be on. Your energy is has to be focused, and I think that's a good point you said about you have to be aware of what you have left in your tank, uh, what the class or the team has left, and what they're able to do. But then also there's the piece of kind of not showing your um, your challenges right now, and and at least just going through the motions, getting through this practice or this class, whatever it may be, and kind of not bringing, I guess, the baggage. That, that was one thing I remember too, you know. Whatever's going on in your life today, I understand that and I appreciate it, but let's all leave that at the door, come together as a team and approach this practice with, with positivity. And I think that's in the classroom, that's, that's to, if you go to a job, your employer is gonna expect you to come and do the job. Mm-hmm. And there, everybody has, personal things that are going on and so you have to find a way to do the job so once again it's the life experience of sports can be a a great laboratory for that how do you block that out how do you Mm -hmm. put those things aside and I always tell the players you know with basketball I said this is your chosen sport this is what you love to do yeah so if you love to do it then then make the most of it for the hour and a half two hours whatever the time is and prepare for it and and do the best you can with it yeah and you're and if you're gonna have a if you're coming in and there's something going on that's where that adult communication goes on too yeah let me know so that when I'm speaking to you maybe I speak to you a little bit differently maybe mm-hmm. I talk to you on the side rather than in front of the group um, about something I want you to do differently because you have something going on at home or you're not feeling a hundred percent you know, everybody has circumstances, and that's that's would be the same thing in a in a basketball game. If if are you going to tell the coach if you're not a hundred percent, so the coach uses you the right way in a right. game, or am I going to burn you out in the first half and you have a cold, but you right. you were too um, too proud too or... proud to be able to tell tell the coach that, and yeah. you know that would help me as a coach to be able to use you the right way as a player. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about motivation too, and it seems to be tied into being aware of each individual because everyone kind of runs at a different level. So how do you motivate kids on the basketball team? Uh, that's a, I, I, obviously as a college coach, I'm looking for kids who have a motor, but everybody has a motor. How do you turn the motor on? And mm-hmm. you know, what, what are the, what stimulates? How does a person react to, do they react best to patting on the back or do they react best to a scowl? Do they react best to um, a really hard practice versus maybe a soft practice? What is their background? What's their family background? I think as a coach, you need to know all those things. Mm. All right. You'd look back at our national championship team that we had and we had a we had a run there of some really great seasons and we had a number of kids who came from really good programs and when they, when players come from really good programs they come in with a whole set of values too mm-hmm. so then you can work around the the other kids a little bit differently maybe who need a little more expertise who maybe need a little more padding on the back because they, they they're not coming in as game ready or as college ready or as adult ready as some of the others so there's a lot of different factors um, you know, I, I, you try and bring energy and enthusiasm. You talked about me arriving early. Well, if we have a, a practice uh, at 8 in the morning on a Saturday, well, I'm here at 7. Mm-hmm. The gym lights are on. I'm making sure that everything is in place. And 
if it's we're going to have music that day, I have the music playing, so when they're coming in and putting their sneakers on and getting ready, the music's playing. And they may not like my music, but sure. there's music that's going on. And if they have music that I approve of, then uh, you know I'll play it. But you, you search for those things that are going to be fun and uh, that are going to motivate. You know, I, I talk about this a lot with the summer camps because I, I think one of the things that every employer wants they want motivated people to come right. to do to work you yeah. know you you employ people and you want people to be on time yeah you want them to come with energy you want them to um some some of you you're not going to have to hold their hand on everything you might have to show them how to do something differently but you want them to give an effort and mm-hmm. i mean really that's what it's about and so i always talk about the automatics that's my biggest thing and oh, yeah. lots of coaches have different terms for it but mine is the automatics so at a, a basketball practice, the automatic, the expectation is you're going to hustle. Mm-hmm. And when the coach blows a whistle, you're going to stop, listen. Am I running over there or am I just listening to what the coach is saying? Mm-hmm. I'm not bouncing the ball. I'm not twiddling my thumbs. I'm not looking at the ceiling. I'm looking at the coach, the eye contact. And I try to emphasize that it's going to be 15 seconds, 30 seconds. I'm going to talk to you, and then we're going to get on to the next thing. Yeah. And if I, if we... Uh, if I have a quick huddle, because gymnasiums not, or even outside are not made for acoustically for people to hear, yeah. I'm going to want everybody to come in. So I always use the example of, and Chris Speedy Laws was a good example of that, at the, not at the beginning, but at the end of coming and standing in front of me. Moses Jean-Pierre, who's the all-time leading college scorer in the state of New Hampshire, uh, who I stay in touch with you know, from Cambridge, Mass. Mm-hmm. Great, great, great story. He would always be right in front of me, every practice. Every cuddle. Oh, really? Right there. And, he, I mean, he's it, the best player I ever coached, you know, uh, played over overseas for a number of years and so forth. Just a really incredible story. But uh, that, those automatics are key. It's like sitting in the front of the classroom. It is. It is. But it's showing that effort and energy. You know, yeah. you want it to be reciprocated, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a training piece, and that takes constant work. And as a coach, you talked earlier about... You asked about, uh, you know, those days when you're down a little bit. Well, those are the those are the things that hopefully you've built in enough yeah. that you don't when you're not a hundred percent that they're still evident in the practice. Yeah, some of those automatics are, are standard. Right, that's yeah. where you're. That's what the goal is. Yeah, and at the end of the season, you know, when you're having those practice, that's what you're hoping. Yeah, you know, when when the whistle blows, when the class is going, they're looking, listening, their pencils are ready. They're their eyes are on you, whatever it might be. You know. Yeah, and it takes a lot of like early investment in the in the group, and like you said, learning as much as you can about each individual. So I think that's important. Can we stay with basketball a little bit and talk um, basketball philosophy? What would you say your coaching philosophy is? What type of game do you want your team to be playing? I've always liked a fast game because I, I, and I, I think it's really important that players touch the ball. I think players are better when they touch the ball. They'll give a better effort on defense. And um, defense is, is so much as it, there's certainly technique with defense, but a lot of defense is about energy. It's about being the guy who can get the 50-50 ball. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the technique comes in. Well, how do you teach a player to deflect the ball and knock it away from the other player, mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. So that's where those techniques come in. But uh, I like to play a fast game. Uh, I, I think sports should be fun. Kids stop playing sports at age 12. 
you know, nationwide, 50% of kids do, so that's a concern for mm -hmm. that I talk about in all my classes, my graduate yeah. classes. Um, and there's reasons for that. Some of it's specialization, some of it's losing interest, some of it's all of a sudden you get to a middle school and kids get cut, you know, and yep. then how many of those kids go out for the team the next year and so right. forth, or they move on to another sport. There's lifetime sports. There's also... Uh, you know all the video stuff that is, you know, uh, you know, is a negative if it's too much, you know, on your phone or on yep. your computer. But uh, I, I think sports should be fun. I think a practice should be uh, have great energy. I think it should be uh, there should be a lot of movement. There should be a lot of diversity going on in a practice. Uh, and and I I th think that players like to be uh, disciplined and they like to be disciplined with organization and they learn through organization. So practices are um, developed with the idea of teaching players how to practice by themselves, how to organize their, their time, how to spend time and, and work on things um, and to be a good practice player. And I look back at you and I, the, one of the thoughts that, you know, you played with some, some good people on your teams. Mm -hmm. One of the things I always encouraged was you know, this is in high school. The gym, if the gym is available, why not get in the gym and shoot? Yeah. Now, nowadays we have a shooting machine. We don't have a shooting machine when you were here. <laughs> I can't imagine how many shots you'd be getting up because you used to you used to do your workouts with a couple of you know various workout right. partners, and you would work on dribbling and shooting. A lot of the things that we were doing in practice, and you spent the extra time yeah. in the morning. So you said, oh, I don't have class from eight to nine. Yeah. I'm going to get in the gym because the gym is open. Yeah. And th part of that is uh, why I think you went on to have a successful career at, at Colby Sawyer, but you had other choices that you could have gone to a number of different schools. Mm -hmm. uh, and Colby Sawyer ended up being a, a you know, good choice for you all, all the way through. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it, how do you, you self-motivate yourself? Yeah. Well, you, you, the light switch went on mm -hmm. for you. And that's as a coach, that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah, but then when when it doesn't go on for certain players, you got to figure out how to get it on. And, and I try to, through my coaching that I've done in the past, try to tell kids that you, you need to be putting in that extra time. You know, that practice is for the team, and and that's necessary too. But and a lot of these players want to go beyond or to the next level. So what is the extra piece that you're doing? You know, that's gonna help you compete with the people that you're fighting with to get to that position. And it is a fight because you are fighting for playing time. Yeah. And anybody thinks that you should just be given playing time for the sake of giving is, you know, depending on the level. Yeah. If you're in a competitive situation where you should get into high school, then it's about competition. It's about what you did at your last practice. Yeah. Every practice is uh, a tryout. Yeah. And that's, you know, our, pl our players, it, that's a constant battle with our players here is, well, I was... I did this. No. What about the last practice? Yeah. You know, you, you know, that's important. And <laughs> parents don't see that. Right. Parents don't see that. So as a coach, you want consistency. As an employer, you want consistency. You want the day-to-day -to, -day to be consistently good. Mm -hmm. And some days you're going to be excellent. And you may have an off day, but are you still trying hard? Yeah. Um, one thing I appreciated from your practices, and I actually took this from when I was playing. We might have had a conversation back then. But then as I came back to assist you for a year or two and then help you here and there, I, I see you doing this a lot, is um, it can be called like organized chaos, but basically having the team uh, do a drill or go through a series of something, but not necessarily explain all the 
uh, intricacies of that. I'm not sure if it's inductive or deductive type of uh, education, but it, it's chaos at first, and they're scrambling, and their you know their heads are turning every which way, and then you kind of bring it down and narrow. But then in other things, you might introduce, you know, this is exactly what we're going to do. Can you talk about your philosophy with the teaching there? That's, uh, that's I love that, that question. Uh, back at, I remember back at Plymouth State and uh, Jerry Quinn, who's a legendary coach at St. Thomas More Prep School in Connecticut. They produced a lot of great players. And mm-hmm. Wonderful coach, wonderful guy. And he had was playing, his team was playing at New Hampton. He came up to watch his practice, and we were doing some drills, and he, he commented right after the practice. He said, I just loved your organized chaos. <laughs> and, and so we talked about it. And I, I think there's a, there's a way to teach different things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that part of players, you want players to remember things, the sticky the sticky part yeah. so what do you want them to remember and I teach whole part so you teach the whole drill mm-hmm. the whole aspect and then over the next bunch of days you try and refine it and break it down mm-hmm. to its component parts and it's okay if you have chaos as long as no one's getting hurt so it's a safe situation yeah. safety and risk management are key parts for any sport mm-hmm. so I think the whole part you know I teach the component of whether it be an offensive set, whether it be an out-of-bounds play, whether it be a transition drill or a defensive drill. And then you start breaking down all the little pieces and the station work that you need to do, and that's where utilizing, if, if you're fortunate, like I was when I had you and Mark yet, and, you know, as assistant coaches, to be able to say, take these five guys and go work on, mm-hmm. you know, how to play this, this particular screen on defense or whatever. Uh, and it comes together. Remember here... In a short time, we have to get all kinds of new players on the same page. Yeah. And as I say to the players every year, is, and maybe you remember this, we have to speak the same language. Yeah. And whatever language you spoke at your previous school, now you have to learn the Paul Hogan language, yeah. the NHTI language. What's my term for, uh, you know, transition? Yeah. You know, as maybe you had a different. I use run responsibilities. A lot of people talk about. Um, press breakers. Yeah. Well, I use yeah. the term run responsibility because I want us to be thinking about running. That's, And that takes quite a bit of time for our players yeah. to kind of come, what do you mean? What is he saying? Mm-hmm. Or it could be everything. Your out-of-bounds play in high school, number one, is could be different than my out-of-bounds play, number one. So right. we got to speak the same language. Yeah. It, and that whole part really puts their feet to the fire, though. And I think a lot of coaches can, you know, create more uh, challenges by starting with the parts over explaining in the early stages you know I'm I'm coaching Matilda's uh, my daughter's you know hot shots uh, basketball rec league and you know you can't you can't over explain and you can't have them standing and not doing for too long they need to just go do kind of like you said and, and get them moving and then over time kind of narrow it down and it doesn't matter what the level is you know, I, I, I've been running shooters' goal basketball camps forever and ever, and so we get the first graders, the kids who are going to be first graders, sometimes kindergarten and stuff, but it doesn't matter, the fifth graders, the eighth graders, the, the high school kids at the, the really serious camps that I run here. What do they want to do? They want to shoot. They want to yeah. handle the ball. They want to play. They want to compete. Mm-hmm. They want to be organized. So, you know, it, you got to get people into the mix and get them going, and then 
go with develop a, a way to communicate with them to show them and and what I always say that my message is to our players here at NHTI is if I'm telling something to Jimmy Thor mm-hmm. I'm telling it to the whole team yeah you know run the floor wide catch the ball in this way I'm not just saying it to Jimmy <laughs> and as a coach you know there are certain players who will and can listen to a constructive criticism better than others sure you just know that yeah. and so that's why you know, sometimes coaches will talk more to certain players because they recognize that certain players are more receptive and can handle uh, listening and then doing something positive with what whatever you're bringing up to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some players react the exact opposite way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, here at NHTI, the first month, I always tell them this is every day is a test because I'm testing you. I'm testing as many kids as I can and trying to make, put my memory bank about how players look at me when I, when I ask them a question or if I give them some criticism or pat them on the back. How do they react? What's the best way to you know, motivate them? Right. What's the best way to get inside their, their engine and figure, figure out what to do with, with them as a player? And you know, summertime at the, at the camps, it's, it goes back to those automatics. So, you know, that organized chaos, yeah. building it in with the automatics, with that hustle, that automatic, because mm-hmm. I don't use the word hustle, yeah. getting them to do that, man, that, then it's fun. It's yeah. fun. I think it builds a sense of comfort and then confidence, confidence. so they can move, for, move forward and, and build their skills. Now, what about discipline? When, you know, in a lot of sports, there's a sense of urgency, and even in practice, there's a certain amount of time, or in a game situation, of course, that's compounded. You know, what do you think about discipline? And recently, like Tom Izzo's been in the news for Michigan State for yelling at a player. And um, what do you think about that? Well, I think everything you do in a practice is dress rehearsal for a game. So you know, t- to a certain extent, mm-hmm. and um, you know, just like classroom, it's dress rehearsal for life. You know, what do mm-hmm. you? You know, what are the habits that you have? So, how, once again, you know, the, what Tom Izzo did, I, I don't think he didn't. He didn't touch him or anything. At least I didn't see that. So mm-hmm. he yelled at a player. He yelled at a player, and sometimes that happens. But if you sign up for Tom Izzo, you're going to get that. Yeah. And as a coach, I've evolved over the years, and I can think back to a, a crucial moment when you were playing, and I still beat myself up for this one, but I corrected myself. We are in the championship game, and something was going on that I didn't like, and I you know, blew my stack a little bit, mm-hmm. and then I pulled it back. And I immediately, at the time, during the huddle, I apologized. And, uh, you know, I don't swear, so I wasn't swearing. But I, you know, uh, and I make that very clear. I don't expect the players to swear. I'm yeah. not going to swear. Yeah. And all that. But, um, you know, every coach handles things a little bit differently. And I've evolved, you know, from the, my early years where I probably yelled from time to time a, a lot more. I'm, a, I'm very sedate now. Yeah. Uh, and I have a lot of people ask me, you know, about my, about the coaching presence on the sideline and why I don't raise my voice and mm-hmm. why I don't take my suit jacket off in games. And, <laughs> and, you know, and that's a Pat Riley thing that I read a lot of books. And Pat Riley felt that you're in control if you keep your jacket on. So oh, yeah. I, I, I try and dress well for the games. I wear a suit jacket and a tie for every game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't wear suits as much just because of the way we travel. It doesn't always work with getting a nice suit into a, our vans right. and so forth. So, but I, I, uh, I, I feel presence is very important and how a coach is going to look 
at a practice, at a game. You want to uh, you want to build that comfort uh, and confidence with the players in that respect. Yeah, it certainly trickles down when when you keep your cool in in hot situations. I guess. Um, what about when the team is on the court and you're on the sideline? Um, you know, I like that the team can function without every order coming from you. And uh, I think it comes back to early practices and dress rehearsals, you know, many times so that they can have a freedom out there so you don't need to be telling them exactly what pass to make every play. Certainly don't want to do that. Don't want robotic players. And, and, and uh, you know, when you reach a certain point where players can play through their mistakes, then you're a better team. So I tell the players every year, if I can go a whole game without calling a timeout, then we've won. Because that means the other coach, we probably won the score, but the coach, the other coach has to use his timeouts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you can survive another team's run, then you basically, you know, hit them right back with a yeah. counter punch. And yeah. so that's a good thing. And, and that's part of, that's part, to me, that's part of life, too. You know, if you can survive the tumultuous moments that, you know, that you get frustrated with things and things don't go right, and every day there's things that don't go right in your world. Right. Uh, so that's, I think that's a Phil Jackson thing, too. But we, I remember looking over, like, is, is he going to call a timeout yet? Or, and no, you were kind of letting us withstand and, and see if we can battle through. And there are times where, you know, you have to, you have to show your players how to how to use the timeouts right. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly, you know, not to say that I haven't called the timeout early in the mm -hmm. game, but it's usually a reminder. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I, I also take them. I also believe that during a timeout, you know, uh, there's three things to say, no more than three things. Mm -hmm. And oh yeah, you know, if you, you think if you say too much, it gets it gets lost. What do you re what do you really want to say? So. Yeah. Uh, if, you know, a stand-up 30-second timeout, okay, I'm going to step away, I'm going to step into the huddle, and then I'm going to talk briefly about the one or two things, because it's 30 seconds, mm -hmm. and I'm specifically going to probably talk to an individual about maybe we're switching a matchup, or maybe I want to play slightly differently uh, something. Sometimes it's a pat on the back, like, hey, guys, we can do this, you know. Yeah. Um, if it's a full timeout, then I'm going to completely step away. And I'm going to let the players sit down, get their water, mm -hmm. all right? And then I'm going to come into the huddle, and that's when I want total focus, okay, for the 30 seconds. We rarely are in a timeout Too long. for the full full time. I want them back on the floor. I want to match it up. I want them yeah. on to the next play. That's the purpose of, and once again, that's the purpose and goal of my timeouts, yeah. not to, we're going to do X, 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 and X. I, it got, it's, it's dress rehearsal time. We practice this, too. This is something we will have in a practice, and we will practice a huddle, a stand-up. We'll practice the national anthem. We'll practice all the things, oh, yeah. how to go to the locker room. How do I want, you know, a, a, and we don't always have a perfect locker room situation because some of the gyms we play in, we don't have a great locker room situation. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, you do the best you can with, uh, you know, imperfect situations, which that's life, too. Yeah, yeah. So you've recently received an award um, that I wanted to talk about. And it's the uh, James W. Damaris Award. And uh, I wanted to read what I found on, on a website about the award and, and see if we could talk about it a little bit. It said, uh, NHGI Lynx Athletic Director Paul Hogan was honored by the New Hampshire Union Leaders Board of Judges to be the second recipient of the James W. Damaris Award given to a New Hampshire resident 
deserving special recognition who has dedicated their lives to help others achieve their goals in the sports community at any level. Um, so I wanted to talk about that last piece um, that's very meaningful award, seemingly, and someone who has dedicated their life to something like this. We talked a little bit about it in the beginning, but can you talk about what it meant to receive this award? Uh, really quite an honor, uh, and you know, it was a personal connection, too, with James Damaris, because we all have mentors, and mm -hmm. he's been one of my mentors. So he was the executive director of the NHIAA for 20-plus years. But my senior year in high school, uh, he was my principal. So he stepped into a situation and uh, stabilized Plymouth High School. We had a longtime principal who retired uh, when I was a sophomore, George Sulius, the football field's named after him. And then there was a year of a different person, and then Jim Damaris came in my senior year. Well, just prior to the start of my senior year, and I was quarterback in the football team and so forth, my dad had a very, very uh, serious heart attack, and um, so we didn't know if he was going to live. I spent pretty much most of the year, you know, he was in and out of the hospital, and he was, you know, it was, it was pretty tough. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jim Damaris uh, became somebody. Uh, who became a friend and uh, so forth and all my professional moves along the way after I started my career um, I ended up talking with him what, what do you think about this is this a good place for me to go what are the pros what are the cons of this mm -hmm. and he knew me very well he knew my personality he knew what I was about he understood me uh, he was really a great principal and and when, he, when I became the AD at uh, Spalding High School, I had conferred with him prior to taking the job, and he encouraged me, and we regularly talked about things, and he put me on certain committees, got me on certain committees, and, and that whole experience has continued, and when he was teaching graduate school, I would go and speak to his classes. So that connection continued, and yeah. so I learned a lot of wonderful things with him, and he had a wonderful wife, Kay, and... and, uh, and uh, I still talk to him from time to time, and his two boys, Mark and Mark and Michael, and I actually got Mark going on his professional career in this system as oh, nice. admissions uh, with Manchester Community College, one of our sister schools. So, oh, okay. so uh, you know, we there's a there's a strong you know personal connection. There is, and uh, it's very 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 cool. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, all the things that I've done like I said sports and kids and it's just a natural uh, the connection piece uh, it's all the career days it's all the if you, you want me to come and speak to your group to, you need you want to talk uh, X's and O's I have coaches come in who will spend a half an hour and talk X's and O's about the preparation for their team and I speak at the Nayford convention just about every year up in Waterville Valley one or oh. two talks on it could be on uh, business of sports, it could be on coaching, it could be on something else, uh, and this is all related. Yeah. It's all, all, all related to the stuff that I love to do, so I'm very fortunate to be able to be in a position, especially here in Concord, which I kind of think we've tried to bring it as sort of the center of athletic activity here in the state of New Hampshire mm -hmm. in many ways, and um, I, get to, I get to do this every day, so it's pretty cool. It's fun. You've certainly done a good job. Well, as we're wrapping up here, um, what's next for you? Are you still doing basketball camps in the summer? And that's part of my year-round calendar. So it's it it, it it's it's uh, 
a busy time right now because a lot of people are calling, emailing, and registering for camp, want to know which camp is the best one. Mm -hmm. I've been doing Shooter's Gold around the state for the longest amount of time, 35 plus years. And so I've been for everywhere from Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, all the way to the coast, to the, uh, the Vermont side of things, and all the way to the southern part of the state. And uh, mm -hmm. thousands of kids have come through that, that camp, and it's been a lot of fun. And um, So that's a transition piece for me, and uh, I love it. I also get a lot of people who have were former players, who have worked the camps, former assistant coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me to spend part of the summer with Evan Johnson and Dalla Johnson, who's currently our women's basketball coach, or Bruce Johnson, or... Um, Jess Hardiman or some of the other folks that I have, Scott Miller, uh, Jim Carey, um, Matt Swedberg, who played for me back in the Plymouth State days. I mean, mm -hmm. and uh, it's just, it's fun. It's, yeah. it, it's long days because every day starts early, early and ends late with the phone calls and the snap, but it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a, it's, it really is a uh, job of love. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm in the gym. That's great. One question I get, and I'm wondering, is you have the post player and a point guard camp but what I've told people is there's 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 a focus but any player can really go to any camp right correct okay the camps that uh, you know I tell people this the shooters gold camps are a recreational style skill camp mm -hmm. that I travel around and go to a lot of communities that wouldn't normally have a camp so a, 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 you know Guilford Meredith a Littleton uh, I mean these are places that in some cases are uh, off the beaten path. So, yeah. uh, and I've done, used to do as many as 14 of those. I, with my schedule and, and some of the people who work the camps for me, I can't be in all these places like I used to be. But right. it's, a, it's a great introductory, let's get people on the escalator and love basketball and enjoy basketball. They get a, a ball and a shirt. The camps that I run here have a slightly different um, purpose. You know, you talked about the point guard camp. The, call it the point guard camp it's a name but it's really a skills camp mm -hmm. and it's uh an intense two and a half days and we work on a lot of skills a lot of repetition repetition uh, a lot of fundamentals some advanced techniques and they can come in as an unskilled player they can come in as a very skilled player we have really great players i know i already have like three really good players coming to the boys point guard camp in particular this summer and uh i'm excited with that, but I'll have some beginner kids too who are good athletes who are looking for some confidence. They're looking to improve their footwork, their how they catch the ball, um, you know, learn some things. And once again, if they get on the escalator and they get motivated, then they're going to go and learn how they, they've learned some things. They're going to go and practice yeah. and, and take those and, and do some good things with them. The Rip City's another, it's a traditional style day camp where they play a couple games each day. It's fun. It's a, a step up from uh, Shooter's Gold. Um, it's a positive camp, and it's once again it's in the NHTI gym, so it's a nice facility. Yeah. And then the specialty camp we always fill out uh, it, because it the point guard camp and the specialty camp have the the overnight option mm -hmm. that kids can stay in the resident hall, so they eat meals That's in fun. the calf. Yeah. Um, they have long days. We get out of the gym at nine at night. Um, <laughs> There's no AC in the in the in the resident hall, so they bring their fans. Uh, some kids complain about it. Some you know parents get a big kick out of it. Yeah, uh, I get a kick out of it too. I sleep there too. So oh, nice. uh, it's a long bunch of a bunch of days, but it's very fulfilling. Yeah, and it's usually I always tell people it's nice if you get a, a camper to come three times because then you get to know them. Yeah, you know, if you only see them once. 
where you can do certain things. But if you get to see a, a player over, you know, three camp periods, yeah. then you get to know them a little bit. And I have some who come many more than that, and then they try a variety of the camps to, to ex, you know, get some different experiences. That is very beneficial to me, but also to the staff that we have. And it's the same staff every year. So you'll be able to feel out the player and, and you know, figure out what makes them tick a little bit more. That's right. And help them advance their game because they come in the next year and you say, okay, you've gotten better at that. Now let's get better at this. Yeah. And you're a little bit stronger. You've grown three inches. I didn't recognize you when you walked in. Yeah. You know, your hair is a different length, you know, and all those types of things. So it, the overnight camps, though, attract kids from out of state. Oh, yeah. uh, that was the other thing because of the resident hall. So it's not just nice. the local Concord area kid. We get kids from Rhode Island and uh, Maine and Vermont. And I've had kids from the state of Washington and California and Georgia oh, and nice. Ireland and Spain that have come to the camp too. So you can really have some international flavor. Oh, In great. some cases too, we've had some of your teammates, you know, like Daisho Shimoto who works with a Minnesota Timberwolves. He's a video coordinator for, for the for the Timberwolves. Mm -hmm. You know, work some camps. So you have an international flavor of some people who, who end up helping out at the camps too. So it makes for a lot of nice. fun. Yeah, I, I recommend the camps to everyone when, you know, people are looking. And uh, there's definitely a positive feel to them, and all the coaches are engaged and positive and, and really caring about every every player out there. So. Recommend they're it. not sit around camps. No, no, no. They're not sit around. They're not babysitting camps, and I make sure people know that too. Especially if they're coming to one of the camps here, because the days are long. If they don't really love <laughs> basketball, then they're not going to enjoy being in the gym for twelve hours. And they, you know, they need to have the right footwear, the right socks, so that you know they don't get blisters and they can have a good camp experience. Because mm. uh, anybody can get sick at camp, but right. if they're not. If they don't have some sort of physical conditioning, they're probably not going to last very long. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just the way it is. Um, yeah. But that's part of the appealing of, of it, too, because the, the real basketball junkie, the player, not the parent, the, the player that, that, that wants a basketball experience, they're going to get it mm -hmm. at, at one of the camps. Very nice. Other than that, still teaching into the spring? and Teaching in the spring, teach a couple classes for Plymouth State. I teach uh, sports, finance, and marketing graduate level and I teach, teach athletic administration. I helped start that program at Plymouth with uh, with Jim Damaris and a few other folks uh, oh, okay. back in the day and um, I've been teaching ever since and it was designed with the idea that 20% years ago 20% of the athletic directors in the state would turn over every year so there was a constantly hmm. teaching new people. Everybody thought let's be an athletic director. Well that's like running a marathon you know, yeah, and it never ends. Yeah, you know, uh, so it was educating. So if you're going to get into that business, then you, it's kind of, you want to know the nooks and crannies sure. of what it is to be an AD because it's not uh, for everybody to, yeah. to be an AD to be at all the games and to deal with all the long days and the different personalities and everything like that. But it's a really good couple of courses that I get a chance to work with some professionals who are looking to uh, move their career forward. Hoping to establish some more consistency. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, I really want to thank you a lot for for talking today. And you know, you mentioned mentors before, and I consider you someone that I've been able to call and, and ask questions. And I and I uh, really appreciate that. Absolutely. So I want to look forward to continuing that in the future. Thank you, James. Thanks, Paul. Um, this is Jimmy Thorpe signing off for Breathe Upon Waking. The next time you wake up, don't forget to breathe.